You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Before we get right into today, I'm going to go ahead and read a scripture that's going to kind of lay the foundation of what the message is going to be about today. Uh, we are finishing up the topic on heresy. So I'm going to start with Galatians chapter 1, and I'm going to read uh, verses 3 through 9. There's a couple outlines on your guys' table that kind of shows a lot of the scriptures I will be referencing too. Since I'll be referencing so many, I kind of want to have those right in front of you. So it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God, and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Last month, Joel, uh, Joe asked me if I wanted to take the last lesson of this month. He asked me to fill in for him. I was really excited. I was really pumped. I was like, oh, this is going to be an awesome opportunity. He told me, just pray about it. Uh, the topic's on heresy. And just kind of let me know what you feel like you should speak about. So I'm going home, starting doing some research, trying to figure out, you know, what heresy would Joe want me to talk about, what, what direction would I think he would want me to go, kind of praying about it, asking the Lord, where should I go with this? Well, I started thinking, and through praying, I kind of realized, okay, I am finishing up this topic. And I felt like it was laid on my heart to really focus on one of the main differences that really divides us with different groups, and that is our doctrine on who Jesus Christ is. So today is about Jesus Christ. Today is about who he is. And we've seen a warning here in Galatians, and I got other scriptures listed there that give similar warnings, how we need to make sure we know who he is, that we have the correct gospel, and that we're not listening to other people that present a different view of who Jesus is. So, with that said, I'm going to go into some different groups and what they think and view Jesus. But first, I want you to imagine. Imagine if there's a public figure in our society that had a lot of power that a lot of people respected, adored, looked to, and that millions of people paid attention to this individual, and they're on TV almost every day. Imagine if that person was making comments or saying these quotes on national television. I thought Jesus came and died on the cross, and I thought him being here was about him being here and dying on the cross, when it really was him coming to show us how to do and how to be. And the Christ conscience that he had in the same conscience abides with all of us. Also, God is a feeling experience, not a believing experience. Your religion is a believing experience. And if God for you is about a belief, then it is not truly God. Uh, another one, man made God in his own image. The eternal, infinite, and unnameable, reduced to a mental idol that you have to believe and worship as my God or your God. And last, there are multiple ways to heaven. It is a mistake if you believe that there is only one way. What prominent figure in our society do you think said these quotes on national television? Does anyone have any idea? Anybody? 
Say it again. Oprah. Oprah made these statements on national television, claiming she's a Christian, but saying exactly this. In 2008, she had Eckhart Tolle, Tolle on her show. She, he, she added one of his books to her book club. This guy, I know we've been really sensitive on the word cult and not trying to call people cult leaders, but this guy is a cult leader, straight up. The stuff that he believes is exactly what Oprah said. Right now, they are doing webinars online teaching this stuff. Millions of people are signing on online listening to Eckhart and Oprah with this kind of doctrine. So this kind of doctrine represents the society that we live in today, the postmodern, pluralistic society that we live in. That whatever is truth to you is truth to you. Whatever is truth to me is truth to me. It's all relative to you and your situation. There is no absolute truth. There is multiple ways to heaven. It's, it doesn't matter what path you take. It's not about Jesus coming and dying on the cross for our sins. It's about him showing us the moral way to live. I think one of these scriptures I do want to point out real quick that kind of, kind of brings Oprah down a little bit is in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 14. It says, And if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. So the life, the death, and the resurrection in Christ is vital to our faith. So that's just one example of a different view of who Jesus is. The next example I'm going to talk about is the Christian scientists. Uh, they have a Christian science reading room actually downtown. I don't know if any of you guys knew that. I actually visited it this past week. Uh, there's this sweet older lady in there, and she was, she was really nice, really sweet. I kind of went in there and just told her, hey... I'm just kind of curious the way you guys view Jesus, who he is to you, and the way you view salvation. I, I told her, I, I was a Christian, that I did have different views than her, but I wasn't in there to argue, but I was in there just to hear her view. Uh, our conversation was, it was a very laid-back, enjoyable, friendly conversation. I didn't go in there trying to tell her she was wrong. I definitely, when she asked me questions, I definitely posed what I believe and what I thought, and it was different than what she thought. But at the same time, I was friendly about it. You, you know, we don't want to get in and get into arguments with people. But she pointed to me to Mary, Mary, Mary Baker Eddy's book, Science and Health, with a Key to the Scriptures. This is the founder of Christian Science, and this is her book that she wrote. And the lady in there pointed me to a few pages to read that give me a good understanding of who they think Jesus is. So I'm going to go ahead and just read a few quotes from different uh, pages. And I'll actually say the page numbers in case you're keeping notes, in case you want to actually refer to the pages yourself. Uh, page 332, it says, Christ is the true idea in voice, voicing God, the divine message from God to men speaking to the human consciousness. Jesus demonstrates Christ. He proved that Christ is the divine idea of God. The divine idea of Christ was and is so, and therefore antedated Abraham. So Christ is not God. Christ is not a person. Christ is this idea, this message, this, this concept that we are to receive and that helps us view God and see the way God sees. Um, this idea actually was before Abraham. And so just as we would say Jesus has always existed, Jesus was before Abraham, they would say the Christ idea was before Abraham. And last, <coughs> sorry, Jesus is not God. Um, in John 10.30 it says, I and the Father are one. 
And so she brought that scripture up to me, actually. She... <coughs> Dry spot, sorry. She actually brought that scripture up to me. I didn't bring that up to her. And she says, this scripture means that they are one in quality, not in quantity. So basically, they have the same qualities, but they're not the same. And I was just asking her, where do you, where do you get that? Where does it talk about they're one in quality? Where does it say that? And... I took some Greek in college, so I definitely have my, know my way around a little bit. And I was telling her, there's nowhere in the original Greek that would make you think that. And she just says, but that's what we believe. And so she couldn't give me a straight answer on that. So there's a little brief snippet on Christian scientists. Excuse me one second. been fighting allergies all these last couple of weeks and it just dries my throat out so much. So I apologize. Okay, the next group. I'm going to keep moving along. I know this is a lot of information. Uh, this topic's a pretty big topic. Um, I could easily spend a month on what I'm covering today. But I kind of wanted to go through a bunch of stuff then also supply you guys with a bunch of scriptures that can kind of help you guys, supplies you guys with the sources and the tools. Okay, next group. Twelve tribes. Who knows what the tw- twelve tribes is? Where are they located at? Uh, Mantu Springs. Mantu Springs, the Mate Factor. Has anyone been to the Mate Factor? I've been to the 12 tribes. <coughs> I used to. Okay. Here's something. Keith right here has actually experienced what the 12 tribes is all about. They are located down in Mantu Springs at the Mate Factor. It's actually a really cool coffee mate place, actually. If you've never been there, I would actually recommend going down there. It kind of looks like you uh, stepped into a set of the Lord of the Rings, I would say. And so it's, it's, it's neat. Um, they do have some different views of who Jesus is. And I actually went down there and sat down with a couple of their guys and talked to them and talked about their views. Again, it wasn't a hostile environment. I went in there, told them I had some questions. I allowed them to share and them to speak. And then when they asked me questions, I shared my view. And so it really kept it really friendly. I spent probably about, probably over an hour with those guys. And I'm going to go through a few of the things that they said who Jesus is. They believe Jesus was a man and a messenger. His purpose was to teach the way of, and the love of God. Um, they said the word has always existed. And Jesus was a man that the word indwelt. And so if we look at John 1.14, it says, and the word became flesh. And so they would say the word this Christ thing or being idea came and dwelt in a body. We believe that Jesus became flesh, as John 1.14 says. So they don't believe Jesus is God. They believe that Jesus was a man that had this divine spirit come live inside of him, just the way the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us today. Uh, moving on, I asked them a couple other different questions. And I asked them, and uh, I was like, but what about Romans uh, 10, chapter 10, verses 9 through 10? It talks about how we must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I go, how do you guys view Lord, the word Lord? And I go, I, I, I see it as having a divine meaning behind it. And I actually will explain, explain some of that later using these scriptures. Um, but they said, no, no, that translates as Jesus is sovereign or Jesus is Lord with a little l. So there's no divine meaning. Anytime Lord is placed with Jesus Christ, there's no divine meaning behind that. And then finally they said, knowing whether or not Jesus Christ is really God is not one of their foundational concerns. And so they kind of would hit it. 
around different things. At one point, I walked in there when I was talking to him. It sounds like, oh yeah, we believe Jesus is God's son. We believe that salvation is through him. And the first couple sentences can seem, wow, these guys are legit. I mean, they really know what they're talking about. But then you start describing who Jesus is. They believe that he is this idea that came, this the spirit that came and dwelt inside a human. They don't believe Jesus is completely God. They don't believe that he's eternal. And so you go through all these different things and you realize, okay, our definition of who Jesus is and our faith in who Jesus is, it is different. So some things may seem similar, but they're really not. <coughs> the next group is Jehovah's Witnesses. Has anyone had any experiences with Jehovah's Witnesses? Has anyone ever been a Jehovah's Witness? Just curious. It's all right. I mean, if you raise your hand, we're not going to stone you or anything. Um, these guys view Christ as being created. That at some point, long, long time ago, Jesus was created. And uh, if you look at the scriptures, uh, John 1, it'll talk about, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And they would say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, or the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. That Jesus Christ is a God, but he's not God because he was created by God. So that's who they would view Jesus as. And I found this very interesting. Um, I'm going to just go ahead and read this because I was kind of really astonished. Um, in his preexistence, Jesus was known as the Word because he was God's spokesman according to the Watchman Tower Society. That's the Society of the Jehovah's Witness. He is also identified by Jehovah's Witnesses with Michael, the archangel. Reasonably then the archangel Michael is Jesus Christ. So the evidence indicates that the Son of God, Jesus, was known as Michael before he came to earth. So anytime they reference Michael, the archangel, in the Old Testament, they would say that actually is Jesus. So they're tying Jesus to Michael, which is, again, a very different situation than what we believe. Okay, moving on. Trying to get through this. Uh, The last and final group I'm going to quickly cover is... Uh, Latter-day Saints, the Church of Latter-day Saints Mormons. We've heard actually a lot about them the last two weeks, so I don't want to cover that too much. I actually called the Mormon hotline uh, a couple days ago. They actually have like a hotline you can call. Because uh, you, can, you can go on their site and say, hey, I want to have someone to visit, or you can call. And so I'm like, hey, I'm just going to call. We've been covering this topic, but I'm going to go ahead and ask them just a few questions. And some of the questions I asked, these are the answers I received says, Jesus is a God, but not God. A God, and then he's like, but you have to understand what a person, or what a God is. I'm like, okay, what is a God? And his definition of a God is a God is a person that has a perfect body and that will live forever. So there will, there who believe, those who believe will also become gods. So basically, Jesus is a God because he currently has a resurrected body and that he will never die. So that's the reason he's a God. And when we die and when we are resurrected, they believe that we will become gods also. So Jesus is basically like our big brother. He's not God, but he was there. Also, uh, another thing they said was everyone lived with God as spirits before coming to the earth. Jesus was a spirit that lived with our spirits and was created like us. And they also believe that God was a man at one point in a distant universe or a different planet that became God. And so basically, God was a man on a different planet, became God, and so here you have G, or God, 
And then God creates all these spirits, creates all our spirits, creates Jesus Christ's spirits, and we're living with him in heaven, and then we come down to earth. And so that is a view, a quick overview of the way Mormons would view Jesus, which again is very different. When I first asked the guy, I'm like, who is Jesus? He's like, the son of God, our eternal salvation is through him. If someone said that to you, you'd say, wow, that sounds very similar to what I believe. But then if you ask a few more questions, you get the answers that I got, and you realize, wow, that is a huge, huge difference. Okay, so I kind of gave you guys a quick overview on different thoughts and different beliefs. I know it's quick. Hopefully it made sense. I kind of just want to give you a quick foundation of these are real differences. These, this is the reason why we were warned in Scripture to know the real Jesus. This is why we were warned to pay attention to who Jesus really is so we wouldn't follow a false gospel. A lot of these false gospels that we're seeing today that I just read to you were present in the early church times, were present throughout church history. They just had different names. And so if, you ever, if you're a church history buff or you enjoy looking into church history, look into different heresies in church history past, and you'll start reading some of them. You'll realize, wow, these are very similar to this group. This one's very similar to this group. And so you can kind of see how people have molded and changed different heresies in the past to match their group today. So now that we covered the way other people view Jesus, I think the most important thing is now for us to cover who we think Jesus is, but more importantly, who the scriptures say Jesus is. Because this is the thing. If you get into a conversation with an individual, you need to understand why you think Jesus is God. Because if you say, oh, Jesus is God, they're going to come off and, with a rebuttal and say a whole lot of things that's going to make you sound confused. When you go into the Mate Factor, and you start asking questions. They know their scripture. They ramble things off. They, they're ready to respond to anything. Uh, when I'm hearing them say some of the scriptures they're saying, I'm like, ah, oh, there's some misinterpretations there. You're focused on different things. You're kind of denying a few things. So it is important for you also to know and how to respond to different people and know why you believe what you believe. So first, I'm going to start out with talking about how Jesus is a man. We don't have any differences with these other groups because a lot of them say Jesus is a man, that he is not God. And so I'll focus more on who Jesus is as God. But I do want to point out a few scriptures that he was man. Uh, you have those written down in front of you on uh, an outline there. Uh, a couple different things. It says in John eight fourteen that Jesus calls himself a man. In Galatians, it says that He's born of a woman. There's other scriptures in John and chapters 4 and 19 talk about him being tired and thirsty. And remember this too, if you think about the crucifixion, what he experienced those last couple days leading up to it too, he, felt, he had people deny him. He had people uh, betray him. He had people beat him, spit on him, and mock him. So I think he really experienced a lot. I think it really shows that he was a human. So... I point that out there because I don't want to just put that to the side or act like that's not important because it is important. But now I want to move on to Jesus is God and that he is Lord. And why Lord, when we call Jesus Christ Lord, that we're saying that he is God. Because this is the big foundational difference that separates us from these other groups. Okay, are you guys with me? Am I going too fast? I'm covering a lot, so I, I appreciate you guys bearing with me. Uh, when I was preparing for this, again, I wish I had a lot more time to spend on this. Okay, okay first I want to start in the Old Testament. I want to I show you guys in the Old Testament where it talks about the coming Messiah being God. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 7, 9, and 40, I have those scriptures referenced on that sheet. I'm going to go ahead and just kind of read down through them. 
7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call him his name Emmanuel, God with us. So the coming Messiah will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And last, chapter 40, verse 3 says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, which we know that John the Baptist was the one that prepared the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so right there is some evidence in the Old Testament that you guys can refer back to that you can see that the coming Messiah was going to be God. Moving on, we're actually going to get to this board and why I have this up here and why I have Lord in red. First, I need to reference Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Moses is communicating with God at the burning bush. This is the time where God is calling Moses to go into Egypt and lead his people out of Egypt to deliver them from Pharaoh. And Moses is given the different excuses like we all do. Like he doesn't think he can do it. And, you know, God's trying to encourage him. And he's like, well, what am I going to say to them? I mean, who am I going to say that sent me? And so God's response to that is, actually, I'll just go ahead and read the verses, the whole verses for you. Starting with 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you, has sent me to you. I am, thy am, is a personal name for God. And it's, it's, it's the name that the Hebrews, the, the Jews would hold to as the divine name for God, which is Yahweh in Hebrew. So the word Yahweh stands for the divine name for God, okay? So that understood, what's the divine name for God? Yahweh, respond. I got to make sure you guys are staying with me because I'm covering so much. Uh, I don't want to bore you guys too much. Um, again, who, who, what's the divine name for God? Yahweh. Okay. Now, with these scriptures, I'm going to prove to you why Lord, the New Testament, is another name for Yahweh. It has that same divine meaning to it, okay? Here up here is called the Shema. It is, means to hear. It is the greatest creed a Jew could say. It is a foundational creed. It's the foundational statement for Jews. It is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, okay? That's located in Deuteronomy 6 verse 45. So this is the foundational creed that a Jew would say, or foundational faith statement, I would say, is right here. Jesus himself quotes this, or a part of this, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Luke 10, 25 through 28, it actually has the exact same scripture in there. And it actually finishes, you shall love your Lord your God with all your might and with all your soul, and etc. So it finishes off of this, but I'm just going to focus on the first part. So in Luke, this exact same thing is located in Luke. So Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy, the Shema, okay? Why is this important? Okay, the word Lord in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, in the Hebrew, is 
Yahweh, okay? The Hebrew, Yahweh, the divine name for God. So it says, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. So God himself is one, okay? In Luke chapter 10, the word, the Greek word that is used for Lord is kurios. This word is a Greek word used in Luke chapter 10, okay? This Greek word right here means Lord. So Lord in the Greek is replacing Yahweh in the Hebrew. So when we are saying, Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So in Romans chapter 10, or yeah, chapter 10 verses 9 through 10 where it says, We must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We must confess that he is God. It is important to understand that Jesus is God. That when the name Lord is attached to Jesus, it's defining him as God. Does that make sense? Is that, do I need to clear that up at all? Yes, no. Um, because when I talked to 12 tribes, they said, no, Lord, it should be a little L. And I'm like, but if we're confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, we're confessing that he is God. If we're, well, why would we confess that he is Lord? Because our, our salvation, our belief isn't some man. Um, Lord Jesus, like he's in, uh, from England or something. And so another scripture I like to reference is Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Joel chapter 2, 32 is quoted by Peter uh, at the sermon at, on Pentecost, the first sermon that's preached after the Holy Spirit falls. Uh, Peter actually quotes multiple scriptures from Joel, but we're just going to focus on uh, verse 32. It is, there's a beginning part, I'm going to focus on the end. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the ending statement of a passage in Joel, an ending statement and passage in Acts that Peter is quoting. The word for Lord in Joel, what do you think it is? It's Yahweh. Yahweh. The word used in Joel, so everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh shall be saved. When Peter quotes this on the first big message, the first big sermon, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word used in Greek here is kurios again. Again, it just solidifies when the word kurios, which means Lord in Greek, is attached to Jesus Christ. We are defining him as being Yahweh, as being God. And so we cannot diminish that. That is vital. That is really important. Also, just to throw a few more facts out there, uh, Josephus was a first century uh, Jewish historian. Uh, he was writing during the time of Jesus. He actually used the Hebrew word for Lord and replace of Yahweh. Um, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Hebrew word for Lord, which is Adonai, was used in place of the word Yahweh. So it was very common during the first century for Lord to be used in place of Yahweh. It's not replacing it, but it's just being used to define who God is. So, in the New Testament, which was written at what time? First century. The use of Lord is defining Jesus as God, as Yahweh. So it's not a lesser... Some people look at it as, oh, it's a lesser divine name. It doesn't mean the same. It kind of makes Jesus a lesser deity because he's, he's Lord. Uh, he's not God. But in reality... When you study the languages and look at the first century and what words were used to mean what, you can clearly see that by confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we are confessing 
that he is God. Okay. Okay, what time have we got? Okay, we still got some time. I'm trying to get through as much as I can. Again, I'm trying to give you guys as much information so you guys understand who Jesus is. And so when you guys have conversations with people, you know what to say. And take, take these sheets on the table so that way you have the scriptures and that way you can re-reference them back. Because I know to, later on tonight, you'll be sitting down watching maybe the NBA playoff game or talking to somebody or who knows what you're doing, hanging out tomorrow's going to be Memorial Day and someone's going to ask, oh, how was Mill Sunday School? Yeah, it was good. What are you talking about? Jesus is God. And it's hard to remember everything. So basically, I want to give you guys information so you guys can take it and look back over it. Um, We talked about how Lord means God, but also there's a few scriptures actually says Jesus is God. Um, And John 20, verse 28, Thomas replies to Jesus saying, my Lord, my God. He calls him my Lord and my God. Jesus receives him calling him that. Um... In Titus chapter 2, verse 10 through 14, if you look down at chapter 13, it says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of, our, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, the Greek word for God is theos. It's another word defining God. So right there, that word is being used. So, and then these other scriptures, it talks about the same thing, about Jesus being God. And also what I referenced earlier, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus was the Word. And in chapter 14 said the Word became flesh, which is Jesus. So again, more scriptures. I'm just throwing there out there at you guys uh, that you can see that Jesus is God. Um, Oh, also, uh, have you guys heard about all the I am sayings in John? I am. uh, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All those statements. The Greek that used there is ego and me, which is an emphatic way of saying I am. And so going back to, re- reference back to Yahweh means I am that I am. It's, it's, relate, it's tying Jesus to Yahweh, God himself. So there's all over in the language that is used in the New Testament, it clearly states that Jesus is God. Would you agree? Yes, no, amen. Get some response. It's kind of hear like I feel like I hear I could hear a like a little cricket chirp in here. A cricket could be in the other room. Okay, I'm gonna keep going. Um, going back to one of Oprah's statements, uh, talking about uh, no, there's multiple ways to heaven. You know, it's whatever works for you works for you. Whatever works for me works for me. Um, I kind of want to cover a few different scriptures where it talks about uh, that's not quite true as I have completely mixed up my notes. Bear with me just one quick second. Okay. Scriptures I referenced was Acts 4, verses 11 through 12. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which was, has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 
Verse 3 talks, this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. And I think it's, it's nice for Oprah to say, you know, there's multiple ways to heaven. It sounds very friendly. It sounds very loving. Um, but the reality is that there isn't. If Jesus Christ came, God himself came, and put him through himself through the death of a cross to redeem us back to him, I don't think he would go through all that trouble just for a way. I think he went through that trouble because he is the way. He is the creator of all things. So just referencing back to that. Okay. Still moving on. Uh, going through a few different things. Uh, we've seen that Jesus Christ is God through the language. Uh, we see that he is the only way. Um, also, I want to look at how Jesus has always existed. Because looking back on a few different ones, they believe that Jesus has not always existed. Uh, the best scripture for that actually is in Colossians and in John 1. In Colossians 1, chapter 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Okay, Jehovah's Witness will actually add a word in this scripture. They uh, will say, for by him all other things were created. And they add other multiple times through those scriptures because they want to under- you to understand that, oh, Jesus was created, and then through Jesus, everything else was created. So all other things were created. But in the language, in the original Greek, there is no word for other that is there that would make you even think to place it there. And so by him, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. This is reality. God created all things for him, and everything was created in him. So there's nothing here to say that Jesus was created himself. In addition, again, going back to John 1.18, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. From the get-go, Jesus has been with God. He wasn't created. He wasn't some weird spirit that was created and became man. Uh, he, he has been around with God. And I think what the stumbling block that people experience is, and I've covered so much, and your mind might be, oh my gosh, what's going on? Is, okay, if Jesus was God, Jesus is man, how does this make sense? And okay, God is one, okay, but you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's three. How could there be one? And it can get really confusing almost. But this is the reality, the glory of who God is. And this is what the scripture says. So we know that Jesus is man. We know that he is God. We know that he came to save us. We know that the Holy Spirit is God. And we know that Father is the God. But we know they are one. They are connected. They are united in the most unique, special, glorious, miraculous way. And what I always remind myself is, you know, God is an infinite being. Like he is all-knowing. He is everything. And we have finite minds. And so for us to think that we can actually comprehend everything or to define everything is not going to happen. What we can do is take what the scripture says as truth and know, okay, this is what it does say. And this is what I am going to hold to. That it does say that Jesus is God. It does say that he is Lord. And it does say that he has always existed. Okay? 
the last two things I want to kind of clear up for you guys and kind of just give a little definition to, as you see on the sheet, the setting got messed up a little bit. It says son of man and son of God, and there's just a line there. Um, originally, that was for some notes. I had a couple lines there, but I messed up on the formatting, I think, right before it got printed. So, anyways, son of man and son of God. What do those terms mean? Okay, does God, son of God mean? Okay, that means it's divinity. Son of man means it's humanity. How many of you think that? Be honest. Yes, no. Yes, yes, no, okay. Okay, we're going to take a look at both these terms. Both these terms have a divine meaning to them. And both these terms have a more complete meaning than just saying that he is God or that he is human. Okay? First, look at Son of God. Son of God it describes the relationship with Jesus and the Father, so it definitely has a very strong divine meaning to it. But also, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were considered sons of God. Also, the, the anointed king was considered God's son. And if you look at different Jewish literature, uh, the Mishnah and the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Apocrypha, Apocrypha is written before the New Testament, and these different Jewish writings that were before the time of Christ, in these writings it is understood that the coming Messiah was described to, as the son of God. So, when Jesus is being called the Son of God, he has distinguished himself as the Messiah. Okay? So that, that is why when people are calling Jesus the Son of God, that the Jews are saying, this is blasphemy. Because they're, they're calling him God. They're calling him the Messiah. That's why they would go up in the uproar when Jesus would be called this. Also with the Son of Man. Son of Man does give a feeling that, okay, Jesus is a man, but also has the divine meaning behind it too. Uh, in order to understand the divine meaning, you actually have to look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It says, I saw in the night vision, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And in him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This prophecy of the coming of the end where Jesus Christ will return at the very end, Daniel describes him as the Son of Man. And so when Jesus is being called Son of Man, and that is actually the way that he refers to himself the most, if you look through the Gospels, is he's distinguished himself as the Son of Man that will come in the end. So yes, it does mean that Jesus is a man, but also has a divine meaning behind it. So these names for Jesus have complete meanings behind them. So we have looked at Son of Man, Son of God. We have looked at Jesus being called God himself. And we also have seen how Jesus was called Lord. And how all these different names distinguish Jesus Christ as being God and being a man. Is that pretty cool? Is that quite a bit of... That's, that's, that's a lot of... I would say ammo that you can say that can really defend why Jesus is God, I would say. And so, so I think, I think when you get the opportunity to actually look a little deeper into things, you realize it does spell it out pretty clear. Um, and last and final, our question is, okay, why is all this important, okay? Why, why, why does it matter? Okay, yeah, you, you showed us some 
cool Greek and Hebrew tricks. You, you showed us how Yahweh means Lord and Greek and kurios. And I'm throwing all these fun things out here, getting really academic with you guys um, because I wanted to cover as much as I could. And I was like, what's all that mean? Well, it means a lot because our salvation, our life, our righteousness, our justification is in Jesus Christ. You look through the entire New Testament, through and through it says our faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord, or our belief in Lord Jesus Christ, or believing that Jesus Christ is God's Son. Through and through, I mean, it's all throughout that it's our faith in who Jesus is that we are saved. It's our faith and understanding of what he did that we are saved. So when someone comes up with a different definition of who Jesus is, are they really believing in who the real Jesus, the true Jesus. That's what I titled it. No. And it's, it's sad and it's unfortunate. And that's why we get these warnings in, in different parts of the scripture of like knowing the real gospel, knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, not following other people, even though they may be good in speech. They may be well-dressed. They may own a cool coffee shop. You don't fall into that because we have been warned. And it is clear in Scripture that who Jesus is. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, my faith is in, in a man. My salvation is not in a man. My salvation is in God. And so I'm going to just, just roll off some Scriptures to you guys fairly quickly to solidify the point I'm making. Romans 4, 24 through 25. For, for but for, all, but for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. Because if you confess, Romans 10, 9 through 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Uh, Romans three twenty two through twenty five the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for who believe Romans five ten for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life Romans six eleven so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus I mean I can I can go on and on and on. I have a list of scriptures there for you guys. So I wanted, again, for you guys to have those. So for some reason, if at your table you have more people than those papers there, there's plenty of those other papers on the table because, again, my goal today was to finish this topic on heresy, give you guys a brief understanding the way other people view Jesus and the real difference that is there, and then the way scriptures paint the picture of who Jesus Christ our God, our Lord and Savior is. And I'm going to finish with one scripture, or a few scriptures, in Philippians. Philippians 2, verses 4 through 11. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equally with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That scripture paints it all. Jesus humbled himself, taking the form of his servant, dying on the cross, the death of a cross, one of the most brutal ways to die for us. So when someone says Jesus is not God, Jesus was just some man, it kind of, it does fire me up a little bit. And I do have to be calm and loving when I talk to people and explain to them why I think Jesus is God. Because I think it is a bit of a slap in the face when we say that. Because what he did, how he humbled himself, came down from heaven, humbled himself to be a man, and died a gruesome death. So this is our Savior. Our Savior is God. Our Savior is not a man. So, I will pray and then dismiss you guys. So Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity that we can focus on who Jesus is according to the scripture, according to what you have laid out there for us. Uh, We thank you for what you did, Christ. God, we thank you for how you did humble yourself to the point of death, that you took on the form of man so you come and redeem us that our, our sins have been forgiven by the blood that you shed. So Lord God, we again glorify your name and thank you for who you are. And I ask you to bless all the people in here. Uh, anything that I did not speak clearly on, I ask you to help them clear that up. And Lord God, I ask you just to give them a beautiful, wonderful day. In Jesus' name, amen.